Okay, so today's date is, I should have checked that, is um, September 20th, 2020. We are record, reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 26, starting with a certain American businessman through the end of the chapter. Um, our reader today is going to be Jeff H. from Iowa, and we have a speaker who will share for approximately 20 minutes, and that's Amy L. from Warminster, Pennsylvania. So if Jeff, if you could please read us the pages. You bet. Um, a certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist Dr. Jung, who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished the treatment with unusual confidence. His mental condition were unusually good. He believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to this doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion, but this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives began to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that after all, he was a good church member. Um, this hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him 
that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which we have already told you made him a free man. We in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. The distinguished American psychologist William James, in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. We have no desire to convince anyone that there is only way, one way by which faith can be acquired. If what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. Those having religious affiliations will find nothing here, nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There is no friction among us over such matters. We think it no concern of ours what religious bodies our members identify themselves with as individuals. This should be an entirely personal affair, which each one decides for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such memberships. In the following chapter, there appears an explanation of alcoholism as we understand it, then a chapter addressed to the agnostic. Many who were once in this class are now among our members. Surprisingly enough, we find such convictions no great obstacle to a spiritual experience. Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. These are followed by 42 personal experiences. Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women, desperately in need, will see these pages, and we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too. I must have this thing. Thank you so much for reading, Jeff. And now we're going to have Amy L. share on these pages for approximately 20 minutes. Thank you so much for your service, Amy. Thanks, Kim. Hi, good morning. My name is Amy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, grateful to be here and grateful to see that there are 78 participants on this call. That's amazing. Um, so uh, there is a solution. You know, first of all, I love the title of this chapter. You know, when I first came in, um, so I came in uh, a little 18 and a half years ago, um, and I needed a solution. I've been looking my whole life for a solution. I was 32, um, more than 140 pounds overweight, 
and my life was a wreck. Um, you know, the weight was the least of my problems, if you can, well, you can probably believe that, <laughs> if you're anything like me. Um, and so, you know, coming, uh, coming in, and uh, I, I was one of those fortunate people that came in and found um, uh, meetings where they were studying the big book early on, and they talked, you know, and me coming in and reading, like, seeing a chapter called There is a Solution, um, I probably jumped ahead and read it because I'm like, give me the answers. I, I want a solution. Um, but so here, you were talking about, um, you know, this certain American businessman who memory serves as Roland Hazard. Uh, and they're, they're talking about the, the mental part of the disease, right? Um, and, and that uh, resonates so much with me because uh, even though I did have so much weight to lose and I was, um, uh, you know, like the, the physical was a major problem for me, the mental was the, the more painful for me. I could not understand why I could not stop thinking about food, why I could not stop the obsession. I, I, it, it was the great mystery of my life. Um, because I wanted to, I wanted to not think about food all the time. I wanted to be a normal eater. I wanted to be a normal body side, size, you know, of course, but I really just, you know, that was the thing that kept me up at night. Why can't I stop obsessing? Um, and, um, you know, this first, the end of the first paragraph where it talks about, um, you know, he, even if he, he finds out what the inner workings of his mind tell him, like, okay, I, I know now I have all this knowledge, right? You know, that self-knowledge availed us nothing. Um, that still wasn't enough. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of grateful that that wasn't enough because that, that was what I thought I needed to know. I thought I needed to figure out what exactly psychologically was wrong with me. And once I figure that out, then... I would no longer, you know, have these obsessive thoughts. Um, but that's not what you guys said. <laughs> you guys said, yep, this, here's all the, um, you know, most likely reasons, but not, it's not really all that important. Um, you know, and then it, you go on, you know, it goes on to say what is important and what, what ends up changing the mind is not the knowledge of what's wrong at all. Um, Today, I find it interesting, you know, um, to like analyze and think about, you know, why I behave certain ways. Um, but my solution is never to sit in the analysis part. My solution is always um, to take the steps to it and, and follow through by um, taking things to my higher power. <clears throat> um, and, you know, uh, also at the end of this paragraph, he talks about uh, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. Um, you know, that reminds me of the line, I forget where it's at, where it says they could not differentiate the true from the false. Um, and, you know, that, that, that was me every time after every binge. What the heck? Or even in the middle of a binge, I can remember one time I was, um, you know, sitting on the couch mid, you know, um, spoonful and saying to whoever was sitting next to me, I don't even want this. Um, but I, I was, you know, um, compelled to do it. And I had no idea why I had no 
I could not give a satisfactory explanation as to why. Um, and then, you know, he goes to the doctor, the doctor tells him, I've got some really bad news for you. This reminds me of the parallel um, uh, when Bill was talking um, to, I forget who, but he's talking to the uh, doctor, uh, I guess maybe Silkworth, and he told him, you got to hit him with the cold, hard medical facts. And I feel like Dr. Young was hitting him with the cold, hard psychological facts, like, you know, just make, you know, um, it's, it's the truth, but it's also like, you, you got to understand you're, you're hopeless. Um, and I needed to understand that. Like I needed to get to that level of hopelessness and desperation um, before I was going to be ready to um, do the work that the rest of the book tells me I need to do. Um, <clears throat> And the other thing that this reminds me of is, you know, when he talks about, um, you know, the only the only solution I could think of is if you place yourself under lock and key. I used to always say, if I could just take a pill and that gave me all the nutrients that I needed for the day and I wouldn't have to eat, wouldn't have to think about food, I would do it. Um, and, you know, like, because I can't handle, when I start eating, I can't handle it, you know, um, and that reminds me of that same thing, like, yeah, um, you know, maybe one day we'll have that technology, I don't know, but um, that's not freedom, and it talks, you know, in the next paragraph, it talks about freedom, like, um, I would not be a free woman if I lived that way, right, like, what happens if I, um, you know, like, and, and number one, um, it would do nothing to change my mind, right? And that's where my problem is at. <laughs> um, but number two, I would be dependent on that pill. Like uh, my whole life would have to revolve around that pill. And knowing me, I'd probably start taking more pills and, you know, <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't end up well. Um, but I thought, uh, you know, like that would be a great solution. If I could just not have to deal with food, then, you know, my problem would be solved. Little did I know that my problem was not necessarily with food. Um, <clears throat> then at the top of page 27, where it talks about, you know, end of 26, top of 27, where he can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster. And that's important for me to note and remember is that um, disaster means picking up um, and picking up is disastrous. It's disastrous to me, it's disastrous to everyone in my life. But uh, I can go anywhere provided that I remain willing to maintain a certain simple attitude or as it says elsewhere in the big book, um, in spiritual condition. And I love that because number one, it's one of the promises that have come true for me is I can go anywhere. I does, I'm not triggered or um, it doesn't usually bother me when I'm around my, you know, my binge foods, people that are eating compulsively or not, but just eating foods that I would eat compulsively. Um, as long as I'm in fit spiritual condition, if I, if I'm around that stuff and I start and it's bothering me, then I know I have some spiritual work to do. I need to go sit in prayer and meditation. I, um, there's something that I need to look at. There's uh, a disconnect between me and my higher power. 
Um, but I would say the large majority of the time, it, it, it's not a problem. You know, when I first got in, when I first came in um, and got abstinent, I asked everyone in my household, uh, actually, I don't think I asked, I said, <laughs> I told everyone that um, all of my binge foods were out of the house. They were no longer allowed to be in the house because I couldn't handle it, you know, and, um, but then over time, you know, as I um, had a spiritual experience and uh, these, the promise came true for me, then having these things in the house didn't bother me anymore. Uh, and going places, uh, you know, don't bother me anymore. And, and that's a true miracle. Um, and, the, the, and not only that it does not bother me, which, you know, which is good, which is, you know, um, pleasant, but also that I'm not sitting there going, oh man, I really want that, but I'm, you know, I'm being quote unquote good. You know, I don't even have those thoughts. Um, I don't want it. And I see that kind of stuff as poison. Um, and, and I'm not, but I'm also not, um, like, I, I'm, I'm not scared of it. I'm not, you know, like, you know, I'm not like going, oh my God, that's poison. I, you know, I'm making a big deal. It's just like, no, that's not, it's not for me. It's not my food. Um, and that is such a more serene, uh, calm way to live. Um, yeah. So, and then it talks about, you know, some of our readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Um, thankfully, I didn't think that. Uh, I was a little concerned, like, what, is, what does that mean? Like, what is, you know, what does all this spiritual stuff mean for me? Um, because I was not religious. Um, you know, I had a, actually had a problem with religion. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a good explanation or, um, you know, what, for what happened for me was, I just was able to surrender and say that, let, let me, let me just have an open mind. For some reason, you know, uh, I was granted um, an open mind and was was willing to say, okay, you know, no one, no one in AA or OA is telling me that I have to go to church, you know, which was really good. Um, and they're just saying that you have to find a, a higher power, a power greater than yourself. Uh, and you know, when it first when I first came in, that power greater than myself was like the meetings, uh, a sponsor those kind of things. And then I realized I needed something a bit more um, substantial and definitely not a human person, you know, a, a human's always going to fail. Um, and, and at first I had this like really defined um, higher power. Uh, and over time, my definition of my higher power has gotten more nebulous, but my relationship to my higher power has gotten stronger which I don't really understand, but that it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> so then, you know, middle of page 27, talks about um, these people that are having these vital spiritual experiences. Um, and at this time, um, I, I think this is still like the Oxford group period. So there weren't a whole lot of people um, that were, you know, doing these things that are having these things. Um, and, you know, right at that time, they said, this is a phenomenon. Um, <clears throat> but I like when it talks about the nature of huge emotional displacement, displacements and rearrangements, and then ideas, emotions, and attitudes. So 
I think about what were my ideas, what were my emotions, what were my attitudes um, prior to coming in, prior to being abstinent, um, and you know, thinking about how much they have shifted. You know, when I before I you know when I first came in, before I came in, my my ideas were so set and so fixed. Like it was like you know, this is just I think I would always say things like this is just who I am. You know, um, you know, that was, and I never really said that about being nice, right? That that was always my <laughs> excuse or justification for being mean. Um, that's just who I am. And, um, you know, my uh, emotions were all over the place. I was, in, it was either high or low. Um, I was, you know, my husband never knew which Amy he was going to get. Um, and, you know, how, how I would react. Like, it just... It was just um, chaotic. My emotions were chaotic that mimicked my life. And my attitudes were mostly negative, um, superior, judgmental. Um, you know, like I, um, you know, now I know that, you know, I was so down on myself that the only way to make me feel better was to put everyone else down. Um, but, you know, like I just walked around like, uh, you know, everyone's a freaking idiot. Um, you know, this world sucks. You know, like it was just a negative um, way to go through life, and it was it wasn't fun. Uh, and who knew that that was tied to um, compulsive eating? I certainly didn't. I just I thought, you know, that that was just that was just the way life was. That was just how I was. And I also have a little problem with food. You know, <laughs> and I'm. I'm a little overweight. <clears throat> um, and so then, um, you know, they, it goes on, it, this, the end of 27, it references the, um, the spiritual experience, which is appendix two in the back. Um, and I love how it's defined as a personality, personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. Um, and I certainly had personality change uh, and so far it's been sufficient to bring re about recovery from my compulsive overeating um, and it wasn't the other way around right like a yes I did have to put the food down um, but just putting the food down did not um, give me the personality change you know um, doing the spiritual work was what gave me the personality change, which then gave me the ability to keep the food down. Um, <clears throat> and then at the top of 28, he talks about um, how we have to seek the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. And that's how I felt when I came in. I, I really was desperate. I remember sharing at a meeting once, um, I was like, if you guys tell me that I have to eat dirt three times a day, and but that will relieve all of this, you know, all of this obsession, um, all of this misery that I'm in. Then I will do that. I'll do. I'll do whatever you tell me. I, I was just so desperate um, because I was drowning. I, I was drowning in misery and despair. Um, thankfully, you didn't tell me how to eat dirt, <laughs> uh, but I was willing. Um, and then a new life has been given to us 
uh, a design for living. And that design for living is working the 12 steps. Um, and, you know, that design for living has changed my life. It's changed my inner life. It's changed who I am, um, you know, as a person. One of the things, so when I first, um, in the first year or two of abstinence, uh, was really rocky time for my marriage. One of the things that my husband said to me was, um, you're not the same woman that I married. And to me, I thought that was a good thing. And I still think that was a good thing. Um, but for him, that was, it was, it was hard. Yeah. You know, we had to do a lot of work. <laughs> um, we'll be married 28 years in November. So we, we did work through that thing, thankfully. Um, but it's true what it says here, you know, like we, um, we have to change, you know, this program is all about change. I cannot remain unchanged and abstinent. Um, I have to be changed. I, I have to, um, you know, go do the work and, you know, um, follow these directions and become a changed person. My mind has to be changed um, in order to stay abstinent. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, at the middle of page 28, where it talks about, um, you know, the different religions and it's, I like where it says, as long as they're willing and honest enough to try. And, you know, maybe that explains what happened for me. You know, I, I was willing and honest enough to try to find, you know, what what is a spiritual experience going to look like for me, for someone who has a problem with religion, who, um, you know, grew up in a very uh, religious household and, you know, rebelled against that my whole life. How do, how do I have a spiritual experience? Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that is the answer. I was willing and honest enough to try. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm still not a, a church member, but, um, and I don't plan to be, who knows. Um, but I, I have a very spiritual um, existence. You know, I, I sit and um, communicate with my higher power every morning um, and all throughout the day. You know, um, like my higher power is like one of my closest friends or maybe the closest friend. You know, when something goes, when anything happens during the day, um, my first thought is, all right, God, what are we going to do now? You know, um, before I came on this call, I, you know, sat in prayer and said, give me the words to say. Um, and, you know, like for me, it, it's just that simple. And it also says in here, simple and understandable terms. Like I, I, I it, like I feel like, um, I was given the gift of not knowing that I don't have to complicate it. And, um, I don't have to understand it, thankfully, because I don't, <laughs> um, all I know is that I tried everything else, um, that I could think of before coming to OA, but only um, OA and having a higher power and turning my life over to a higher power, that's the only thing that's worked. So I've used that so many times when I've gone through difficulties um, to, and I remind myself, your higher power got you abstinent and got you um, to be this recovered woman, 
you know, that's lost 140 some pounds, maintaining that for all these years, your higher power can do anything, you know, and that um, has really helped me to strengthen and deepen my faith when I just remind myself of that. It's like, oh yeah, nothing else worked, but having a higher power worked. Um, maybe that higher power will work for this too, you know. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, page 29, again, it talks about these clear-cut directions, which to me are the steps. And, um, you know, they're showing how all these people have recovered. Um, and I think at the time, like this was still the Oxford groups, there wasn't even 12 steps. Um, but they're still the same basic concepts. And for me, my clear cut directions also have to include some of the OA tools, um, especially a food plan. You know, like I, I can't just work the steps, you know, I can't just do page 86, you know, like uh, I, I have to do, in my opinion, I have to do page 86. I have to, you know, get up in the morning, you know, ask God to put my thought life on, you know, um, a better ground. Um, think about the day ahead, you know, all of that stuff. But if I don't also use some of the OA tools, like having a food plan, you know, push, putting the food down, um, committing to a food plan, staying on that food plan, um, then um, I don't, I, I don't think it's, it would work as well. Like, you know, like I, I feel for me, I have to have both. Um, uh, and I, I hate when, um, you know, the saying like alcoholics can just stop drinking. Well, that's true. They stop drinking the alcohol, but they still have to drink, you know, um, and um, compulsive overeaters still have to eat. They just don't eat their alcoholic foods. Um, but I think there is something to the fact that in a way we have to do a little bit more work than perhaps the other fellowships because we have to um, we have to get that part um, taken care of as well um, and so it takes a little bit more work a little bit more digging a little bit more honesty um, I think um, in my experience anyway um, and then, so this last paragraph or two, um, it, there's two things that it, um, it makes me comes to mind for me is, uh, or actually three. One is how um, that identification is so important. Um, and if I don't tell other people about um, me and about my compulsive eating and my recovery from compulsive eating, then um, I'm doing them a disservice because then they don't get they don't get to identify they don't get to find out about the solution, um, and then also how it says um, all these stories point to that basically that the fact that all of the stories um, and the point of all of this is to find a personal relationship with the higher power. Um, you know I love that you know it it doesn't say that all of these stories tell about how, you know, they used to drink and how they no longer drink or whatever. It says how they established a relationship with God. Um, and, you know, uh, one of the things one of my uh, early sponsors said to me was um, that 
um, the whole point of sponsorship is to um, guide the sponsees to learn how to have the personal relationship with their higher power. Um, and how having that personal relationship with the higher power is the foundation um, for everything else. Uh, and that if I don't have a personal relationship with the higher power, um, that don't really stand a good chance of staying abstinent. And it also helps um, too for the sponsee to realize like that the sponsor is not, um, you know, is not, not a higher power and not all knowing, not, you know, the end all be all. Like it's, I'm, I'm you know, sponsors are just a conduit to your higher power. Um, <clears throat> I think that might be all that I have. Um, I don't know how much time has elapsed or how much time I have left. <laughs> went a little over, but you were at the last page, so I just, yeah. So. Okay, thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy, for your share. Um, if you just want to give us a minute, um, Claire, if you can end the recording.